If you have your Bible tonight, open it, please, to the book of Philippians, chapter number four. The title of the message tonight, Are You Struggling with Anxiety? Now, for those of us who are Astros fans, yes, we are, right? We're down 2-0, but there's a verse in Leviticus that says, if you go to church on the night of a playoff game, your team will win. So I can tell you, we will win game three. Now, I make no promises about game four or five, but we're going to win tonight because you're here. But seriously, I wonder today, and I have wondered for the last few days, as I have known that tonight we would be dealing with this subject of anxiety, how many people here tonight, don't raise your hand. But I wonder how many people here tonight would say, John, if the truth be known, I am struggling with anxiety. There may be some here tonight who say, the only reason I'm here is because I saw your video yesterday on Facebook about anxiety, and I don't even always come on Wednesday night, but I am struggling, and I need some help on this subject. Well, let me begin tonight with some good news. If you are struggling with anxiety, you know what that means? It means you're normal. It means you're normal. And the reason I say that is sometimes when we are anxious, we get to thinking that we're not normal, that it's unique to us, that something is wrong with us, that nobody else in the world is struggling with what we're struggling with, and yet that's not the case. If you struggle with anxiety, you're normal, and it proves that you are human. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, now listen to this. In the United States today, anxiety problems are the number one mental health problem among women. And for men, anxiety uh, is the number two health problem only to alcohol and drug abuse. And so anxiety, as far as women go, it's the number one problem. As far as men go, it's the number two problem right behind drugs and alcohol. In a typical year... Almost 50 million Americans will feel the effects of a panic attack, of some type of phobia or fear in their life, or some other uh, what we might call anxiety disorder. Think about that, 50 million people. That's almost 15% of the country. Almost 15% of the country. Say there are 335 or 336 million people living in America and 50 million struggle with this. That means tonight, if it's like a typical night, let's say we have 300 people here tonight, that would mean that in this gathering, there are 45 people, 15% of our group tonight, who is struggling with anxiety. Some of you may have had a, a panic attack today. Or some bout with anxiety today. And so here you sit. Maybe you didn't even know what the sermon was about. You picked up the little handout and it said, are you struggling with anxiety? And you said, this message is for me. Well, in Philippians chapter 4, we come now to what is the classic passage in all the Bible about anxiety. As, our, as, as we have come to this point in our study through the book of Philippians, in chapter number 4 and verse number 4, Paul says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness or your forbearance or your graciousness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through 
Christ Jesus. The Bible is Kendall's most underlined, most read book and most underlined book. And these two verses, Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, are the most underlined verses on Kindle. If you read your Bible on Kindle, that's what the verses that are underlined the most. And so Paul tonight is giving us some very specific instructions about anxiety. Now, as we begin this tonight, I want to treat this a little differently than a normal sermon, although this is pretty much the way I would do it anyway, maybe a little different tonight. I want us to just play like that you and I are having a private conversation, and you have come to see me. Because you're anxious, you're overwhelmed, you're stressed out, you're worried, and you tell me your story, and you say to me, John, what can be done? What can I do that would help me with this anxiety? And I would say to you, well, let's just begin that conversation by thinking for a moment about what anxiety is. It's a word that is thrown around, but what, what, is, what does the word really mean? Well, in the Greek language, it's the word merimnao. Merim nao. And it literally means, as I've just said, to be anxious about, to be full of care about. It means to spend much time thinking about something, to be full of thought. That's what anxiety is. Our mind is full of thoughts about whatever it is that we're troubled about. Sometimes this Greek word merim nao is translated by our English word worry. Do you remember in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus said, to those disciples, he said, you see the birds of the air and, and how the Father feeds them and takes care of them? Don't worry about food and clothing. In fact, three times in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says to his disciples, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. It's the same word Paul uses here. In one place it's be anxious, in one place it's worry, but it's the same word, merimnao, and it has the idea of letting something trouble you or something dominate your thought processes. Now, back in 2018, I was with some friends one night. We had gone to eat, and after the meal, we went to Mardell's Christian Bookstore, which is one of my favorite things to do. If I have any free time and I'm down by the bookstore, I like to just go through that bookstore, walk around, look at Bibles, and look at books. And we were down there this, this particular night walking around, and at the meal we had had, I had shared with my friends some stress I was going through, nothing out of the ordinary. It was work-related. I had overextended myself. Uh, I was doing too much, and nobody had asked me to. It was just, I was just doing too much, and I had gotten my mind going so fast, I couldn't slow it down. And so when we were going through the bookstore that night, I noticed that one of the people in our group kind of disappeared, and I thought maybe he had gone to the restroom or something, but about five minutes later, he came up and handed me a bag from Mardell's, and he said, John, I bought you something. And I said, you bought me something? He said, yes, I did, and I opened it up, and it was this book by Max Licato, Anxious for Nothing. He said, this is what you need. Go home and read this book. And so I did. Over the next few weeks, I read this book. We have promoted this before. There may be some in our bookstore now. I'm not 100% sure about that. Next to the Bible, this is the best thing that I have ever read on the subject of anxiety. And so you can get it maybe here or Mardell's or online. But if you want a good book on anxiety, Lakato has the best one I've read. And let me read how he defines anxiety. The word anxious, he said, defines itself. It is a hybrid of angst and shush, the second half of it, angst is a sense of unease. Shush 
is the sound I make on the 10th flight of stairs when my heart beats fast and I run low on oxygen. I can be heard inhaling and exhaling, sounding like the second syllable of anxious, which makes me wonder if anxious people aren't just that, people who are out of breath because of the angst in their life. And I thought that was a good definition of what anxiety is. Lakato goes on to point out that anxiety and fear are closely related. He calls them cousins, but they're not brothers. And he brings out a good point. He said, fear says there's a snake. You see the snake. Get away from the snake. Here's a rattlesnake, and it's coiled up, and you're five feet away from it, and you see it. And so fear immediately says, you're in danger. Get away. Well, that's a good thing. Anxiety says there might be a snake in some yard somewhere. Never go barefooted outside again. You see, fear sees a dangerous situation, and fear says, get out of Dodge. Anxiety is different. Anxiety says, what if there's a snake in the yard? What if I'm diagnosed with some bad disease? What if my spouse dies? What if I'm left alone? What if I run out of money? What if, so anxiety and fear are related, but they're not the same. Anxiety is always focusing on what if this happens. Now, anxiety, we know, is an, an, emotion, is a, is an emotion that we all experience in life. I don't care how long you've been saved or how much you love God or how mature you are spiritually. You're human. You're still breathing. And sometimes we get in a situation and we feel a moment, a wave of anxiety. Now, that's not sin. Anxiety in that regard is not a sin. Sometimes we get to thinking it's a sin and it makes us more anxious. The only way that anxiety can become a sin, well, there'd be two ways. Number one, if we didn't deal with it and we just lived chronically in a state of anxiety, well, then that would be sinful. God has told us not to worry, and we're chronically worrying. So that, that would be sin in that case. But anxiety can also become sinful if we begin to turn to the wrong things or to the wrong people to calm us down when we're anxious. I think many people who get involved with alcohol, and with, with, even with drugs, I think many people who get involved with immorality, if we could trace it back to what really caused them to do that, I, I think more often than not, what they were looking for was some kind of an escape from reality. In other words, they were so overwhelmed, so stressed out, so anxious, mind just couldn't stop worrying. And they thought, I've got to medicate this. I've got to get my mind off of this. And I think that is behind much drinking and much drug abuse, and even much immorality. It is an attempt to escape the anxiety that that person is feeling. Now, we know that anxiety is not good for us. We know that it's not good for us. In Psalm 37, in verse 8, David said, Do not fret. It only causes harm. So there's nothing good that's going to come out of worrying. Jesus said, If you worry, in Matthew 6, is it going to extend your life? Is it going to make you taller? Is it going to change the situation? No. And David says it only causes harm. You say, John, what kind of harm does anxiety cause? Well, first of all, it causes physical harm. And you don't need me to belabor this, but just to touch on it and to say that when a person is anxious, things begin to tense up in the human body. They begin to get stomach aches. Sometimes the chest can tighten. The, the muscles around our sternum tighten up. And many of the people who go to the emergency room, not all, but many people who go to the emergency room with chest pain, 
thinking they're having a heart attack are actually not having a heart attack. And now if you have chest pain, you think you're having a heart attack, don't sit there and die. Say, John said, I'm okay. Don't do that. Go to the emergency room. But you're going to find when you get to the emergency room, because I had a doctor tell me this one time. Not, I was not in the emergency room. I was here at church. We were talking about this. And he said, do you know how to tell the difference between a heart attack and chest pain from stress? I said, I don't know. He said, if it's stre- chest pain from stress, from those muscles tensing up around your sternum, if you press on your breastbone, on your sternum, it hurts because the pain is external. Now, again, if you have a question, you go to the doctor because I, I don't want that on me. But uh, that would make me very anxious. I killed you through my sermon tonight. <laughs> but, I, but when you get to the doctor, you watch what they, one of the things they're going to do is start doing, does that hurt, does that hurt, does that hurt? Yes, it does, yes, it does, yes, it does. Well, that might not be a heart problem. It may just be your chest tightening up when, we're, when a person is, is stressed out. Now, you're not going to have all these symptoms at the same time. You may never have all of them. Sometimes people's eyes twitch, blood pressure rises. Sometimes a person feels dizzy or lightheaded. I've had all of that in my life. And it's a, it's, it can be a scary and it can be a very frightening thing. Sometimes when we're, when we're uh, stressed out and our bodies are tensing up like that, again, it just feels like we can't turn our brain off. And so it feels like there's a sensation that it can, your brain is going so fast it can feel like you're moving, but you're really not moving. It's a strange thing. Pam Deshawn, our minister of education, and such a blessing to our church. She and her husband, David, active members here. And I called her today, and I said, Pam, can I tell the story you shared with us? And she said, yes, you can. And so I want to share this. A few days ago, they were traveling to San Antonio to visit some of their family. And they were about an hour, two hours outside of San Antonio, and they were driving, Pam was driving, and David's sitting over there just kind of enjoying the sights and not worrying about anything. And Pam had the car on cruise control, so they were riding along 55, 60 miles an hour, just not a problem in the world. And all of a sudden, literally, out of the blue, the car sped up on its own. And it went to 70 and 75, and it went to 80 and 85. And it went to 90 and 95, and it got up to 96 miles an hour. And Pam had not touched the accelerator. There was nothing on the accelerator. And I'm sure David said, we're not that late, Pam. Slow this thing down. That's what he was thinking. But he, they knew something was wrong. And so she put her foot on the brake to try to slow the car down. But when she did, the, the engine just revved up. It just kept going. It, didn't, it wasn't slowing down at all. So she had her foot on the brake, nothing on the accelerator and the car finally she said she put her feet on that brake so hard that she could smell the brakes it was that they got into a gas station pulled over by the grace of God got stopped they're out there in the middle of some little town she said had about 1100 people who live there they pull over get the car stopped put it in park and they go in to get some help and while the car is sitting there in park it's still on and the engine is just revving up just going 100 miles an hour and when I said, Pam, can I tell that today? She said, you can, John, but I may get anxious when you tell that story because it was very traumatizing. So you're doing okay, Pam? <laughs> She's doing all right. But when she told that, I was trying to picture that in my mind. And I was picturing the car after they mercifully got it stopped and they have had the car fixed. There was something wrong. They fixed that. But when the car was stopped, the engine was still revving up and still going. And I thought, that's how anxiety is. You can 
sit down and slow down, and yet if your mind is still going, then that's what it feels like. So there's physical effects negatively of anxiety. It only causes harm, David said. There's emotional harm. It can lead to anger, and it can lead even to depression. Now, let me give you a verse that I think is interesting. Just jot this down. I'll read it to you. In Proverbs chapter 12 and verse number 25, it says this, anxiety in the heart of man causes depression. But a good word makes it glad. One of the causes for depression is anxiety. And uh, if we can address the anxiety, many times we can get the depression to be better. So emotional harm, anger and depression, and then relational harm. If if a person is like what I'm describing tonight, it, it could not help but to negatively affect how that person interacts with other people. They may be touchy. They may be irritable. They may be short with someone. They may be rude. They may be angry. They're on edge, and they're not able to relax. And so when the Scripture says, do not fret, it only causes harm, it's causing harm in all of these ways. Now, the question here is, what causes this? What is behind the anxiety? Anxiety can lead to depression, but what is it that leads to the anxiety? Well, as I have thought about that, in a moment I'm going to read you some answers that Max Licato gave to that question, but I want to give you my own answers First, I've thought about this. What causes us to be anxious? First of all, I think for some of us, and I'm in this category, it is our own disposition. We're just born worriers. We are. We're just born worriers. And people like me and people like us who were born that way, we have, this is our outlook on the world. There are two categories of people, worriers and those who are not smart enough to be worriers. That's kind of how we look at it to defend our worrying. And those who are not worriers say, y'all need to trust God and move on with it. But I'm just saying, and that's that's true, we do. But I think some people are born with a disposition to just be a worrier, maybe more analytical. Maybe they think things, maybe they can overthink things. And I certainly have been guilty of that. But think think about this, friend. Sometimes you'll hear somebody say, well, I was just born with a short fuse, or I was born, uh, you know, I was born negative, or I was born here a worrier. And those things may all be true, but you know what? That's why we need to be born again. We need to be born again. We all came, we all came out of the womb messed up. I mean, sin, we were sinful and messed up and flawed coming out. And sometimes it manifests itself in one way or the other, but we need to be born again so God can remake uh, our own disposition. But that said, for some people... We just would struggle with this in a way that other people wouldn't. Another cause of anxiety is our circumstances in life. I mean, things, circumstances can call us, cause us to become anxious. Things are happening, and sometimes we feel like we are, we're spinning plates, and we've got so many plates spinning, we can't keep them all spinning. And I heard one pastor say, and I thought this was good, he said, pastoring a church is like nailing jello to a tree. You get that piece of jello up there and it falls down. You think, man, I had everything finished and then it just falls right down. Well, I think we all feel that way no matter what our vocation may be. And so sometimes circumstances in life can cause that. And then something else from my observation, our enemy, the devil, makes us anxious because he's the one who's putting these thoughts in our minds. So think about that. If you're the devil and you know that, for example, that I have, my disposition would be to be more analytical more thoughtful, would be a positive way to say that, but more uh, of a tend to worry. And then circumstances sometimes can overwhelm us. 
Well, it's easy now for the devil to come in. I'm I'm already kind of like a boxer on the ropes, and he can come in with one of those what-if thoughts and just try to knock me out. And, And I'm not the only one who's like that. So our enemy, the devil, you know, the Bible describes the devil as a roaring lion. And as a roaring lion, he many times intimidates us. But did you know the Bible also describes the devil as an angel of light? That's just the opposite of a roaring lion. An angel of light, what does that mean? It means that many times we become anxious because the devil puts a thought in our mind that sounds like God. So we have this thought, sometimes the devil can make a sensitive, sincere person feel bad about something that they didn't even do. In other words, the devil can make you feel guilty when you didn't even do anything wrong. Just like on the other hand, you can do something wrong and the devil will tell you that you didn't do anything. Remember this, the devil is a liar. He's a liar. If he were here today, he might would have told us this morning, it's raining outside, get your umbrella. There's not a cloud in the sky today. But that's the devil, he's a liar. And so sometimes as an angel of light, He will come to us, to a sensitive person, to a sincere person, maybe to a hypersensitive person, and put some thought in our minds, and we think, have I done something against God? Have I I failed to do something God wanted me to do? Am I doing something God didn't want me to do? And so we can almost become that way. And that is the devil. He is the enemy, and that can cause anxiety. I think any time any of us think there even might be something in our lives that is not right in the eyes of God, that will keep us up at night, right? I mean, if you're anxious for spiritual reasons, you think, man, I want to be right with God. I want my life to be right by God. But the devil can play on that. That's a good thing to be sensitive to those spiritual matters. But the devil can play on that, and he can cause us to be anxious. Now, those are my answers. What causes anxiety? Sometimes it's our own disposition. Sometimes it's the circumstances we face in life. And sometimes it's the devil himself putting thoughts in our mind. Now, in Lakato's book, you still listen? Say Amen. In Lakato's book, he gives, and I normally wouldn't read this. I'm going to read about two pages to you if I can. Because he says it so well, and he covers some things so thoroughly here that my desire tonight is to get you the information, whether it's from, from something I have said, something the Bible has said, an insight that another person has from God's Word, and just put this information in your mind and in your heart tonight so that it can help you to get through this anxiety. And I want to just say before we even get to the end of the sermon tonight, anxiety is something that God can give you victory over. I mean, this, in 1 John, this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And so you don't have to be anxious for the rest of your life. But some of these things that Lakato says, I find very interesting. And I'm quoting him now. The United States is now the most anxious nation in the world. Congratulations to us. The land of the stars and stripes has become the country of stress and strife. This is a costly achievement. Stress-related ailments cost the nation $300 billion every year in medical bills and lost productivity, while our usage of sedative drugs keeps skyrocketing. Just Now, these are old numbers here. Just between 1997 and 2004, Americans more than doubled their spending on anti-anxiety medications like Xanax and Valium from $900 million to $2.1 billion. And I'm sure you have been keeping up since from when the pandemic started, as you have seen the mental health crisis that was already a crisis 
before the pandemic. And now with all the ramifications of that, it just took it to a completely different level. He wrote this book before the pandemic. The Journal of the American Medical Association cited a study that indicates an exponential increase in depression. People of each generation in the 20th century were three times more likely to experience depression than people of preceding generation, of the preceding generation. How can this be, he said? Our cars are safer than ever. We regulate food and water, electricity. Though gangs still prowl on our streets, most Americans do not live under the danger of imminent attack. Yet if worry were an Olympic, we would win the, the, the gold medal. Citizens in other countries, Lakato says, ironically enjoy more tranquility. They experience one-fifth the anxiety level uh, levels of Americans, despite having fewer of the basic life necessities. What's more, when these lesser anxious developing world citizens immigrate to the United States, they tend to become just as anxious as Americans. Something about our particular way of life then is making us less calm and composed. So it is the world that we're living in. Our college kids are feeling it as well. In one study that involved more than 200,000 incoming freshmen, students reported all-time lows in overall mental health and emotional stability. A psychologist, Robert Leahy, points out, now listen to this, the average child today exhibits the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient in the 1950s. Now you think about that. Kids have more toys, clothes, and opportunities than ever, but by the, by the time they leave home, they are wrapped up tighter than Egyptian mummies. We're tense. Why, he says, what is the cause of our anxiety? Now, I gave you my insights. Let me give you his. Number one, change. Researchers speculate that the Western world's environment and social order have changed more in the last 30 years than they have in the previous 300. Think of what has changed. Technology. I'll say this. Technology is much of the problem of the anxiety. And the reason is you can never get away from it. 30 years ago, nobody would have left work on Friday at 5 and put their desk phone in their pocket for the weekend. But we live with it now. In fact, most of us, as soon as this service is overnight, we're going to get back to our phone and see who called, who texts, what's happening in Israel. Well, I, mean, what, I mean, we would just check out, check out everything, who's winning the game. So technology, while it has many positive advantages and great way to spread the gospel and keep people informed, what it's doing, it's keeping us at high alert. We're never off. And we're never disconnected. And that's one of the problems. The existence of the Internet, he said. Increased warnings of global warming, nuclear war, terrorist attacks, changes in new threats are imported into our lives every few seconds. Think thanks to smartphones, TVs, computer screens. In our grandparents' generation, news of an earthquake in Nepal would reach around the world some days later. In our parents' day, the nightly news would have been communicated uh, would have communicated that catastrophe. Now it is in a matter of minutes we're, we've barely processed one crisis that we hear of another. So there's a, a, an earthquake in Afghanistan. Well, before that earthquake's even over, we know about it. 
And then we shift out of that to say President Biden's in Israel today to meet with Netanyahu. But he didn't meet with the Egyptian leader and the Jordan leader because they canceled because they didn't like what's happening in the Gaza Strip. And the question is now humanitarian. And, and so the mind, it's not, it's, it's not off and it's not disconnected. In addition, he says this, we move faster than ever before. Just like Pam and David's car, it's going fast. They're trying to slow it down. But brother, it's just moving on. That's how our lives are. Our ancestors traveled as far as a horse or camel would take them during daylight. But us... We jet through time zones as if they were neighborhood streets. Our great-grandparents had to turn down the brain sensors when the sun set. But us, we turn on the cable news, open the laptop, or tune into the latest survival show. For years, I kept a nightly appointment with the 10 o'clock news. Nothing like falling to sleep with the accounts of murders and catastrophes fresh on the brain. But what he's saying is his grandparents and his great-grandparents, that's not how they went to bed. When the sun went down, it's, it sent a signal. See, that's what night, the darkness is supposed to send a signal to the brain that the day's over. Shut it down. Go to bed. Go to sleep. But now we just keep going. And what about the onslaught, he says, of personal challenges? You or someone you know is facing a foreclosure, fighting a cancer, slugging through a divorce, or battling addiction. You or someone you know is bankrupt, broke, or going out of business. Without exception, he says, we're getting older. And with age comes a covey of changes. My wife, he said, found an app that guesses a person's age by evaluating the picture of the person's face. It missed my wife Denlin's age by 15 years to the young side. She loved that. It missed my age by five years to the old side. So I, re- I retook it. It added seven more years. I took it again. It added 10 more years. I quit taking my picture before it pronounced me dead. <laughs> so I'm just about finished. One would think Christians would be exempt from worry, but we're not. We have been taught that the Christian life is a life of peace. And when we don't have peace, we assume the problem lies within us. Not only do we feel anxious, but we also feel guilty about our anxiety. The result is a downward spiral of worry, guilt, worry, guilt, worry, guilt. It's enough to cause a person to get anxious. It's enough to make us wonder if the Apostle Paul was out of touch with reality. When he said, be anxious for nothing. And so Lakato is telling us all these reasons, all these things. It's not always us. It's not always that, that, that we're doing anything wrong. It's just life is going so fast. And then the devil, our enemy, knows our weak spots when we're vulnerable, when we're down. You add fatigue onto that or something else, and it just creates a big mess. So now, I've told you what anxiety is. I've told you what causes the anxiety. Now, the million-dollar question is, John, how can I get through this? Is there a cure for this? Is there something that I can do practically that will help me with my anxiety? Some here tonight are saying, yes, not only that, but also with my depression. Is there something that I can do? Well, I'm continuing to quote Lakato. I'm going to have to send him some money and tell him to take his wife out to eat or something because I'm preaching his, some of his material tonight, but it's so good I can't make it any better. But he gives in this book, in fact, he builds the entire book 
around an acrostic, and the acrostic is printed in your outline tonight, and it spells the word calm, C-A-L-M. And if you read this book, the whole book is about how to calm down. We think that the way to calm down is just, uh, you know, to, to go sit in a chair and slow down. That can be part of it, but it may be like Pam's car. You stop the car, but the engine's still revved up. So what can we do? Now, this is where the Bible helps us, and this is where Paul really helps us. So let's just walk through that acrostic briefly tonight. C-A-L-M. The C stands for celebrate. What is it that we're celebrating? We're celebrating the goodness of God. Notice again in verse number 4 of Philippians chapter 4, Paul says this. He's in a Roman prison, and notice what he says. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now, in order to rejoice in the Lord, what do you have to do? You have to think. You have to change your thinking. And anxiety is a battle that is won or lost in the mind. Yes, there are things we can do to slow down and, 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 and disconnect, and that's all part of it. But much of this is in our mind. And so when we celebrate, we begin to think about the goodness of God. Now look in verse 5 because we see one of the things we can rejoice in. Paul says, let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Now, all my life when I've read that sentence, the Lord is at hand, I've always thought that meant the return of the Lord is at hand. In other words, Jesus is... He could, like I preached Sunday, he could be here at any moment, and he could. But I learned today that that sentence, the Lord is at hand, it's talking about not only the nearness of God in time, that Jesus could come back at any time, but the nearness of space, that he is at hand, that he is wherever we are, he is there. And so here's Paul in a Roman prison, If anybody had reason to be anxious, it was Paul. And yet he was not anxious at all. Why? Because he had an awareness that the Lord was near, and it was the nearness of the presence of Jesus Christ that caused him to rejoice. And that focusing on Jesus and celebrating the goodness of God was the first step to Paul having no frayed nerves, no frayed emotions, but to being calm. So the first thing we want to do is to rejoice in the Lord and to just to think. Just when you feel anxious, when you feel nervous, first thing you should say to yourself, Jesus is here. Jesus is here. If you want to make it more personal, say that to Jesus. Don't just make a declaration about Jesus. Say this to Jesus. Jesus, I'm so thankful that you're here. You're here with me. Now you're talking to Jesus. And now that's bringing you into a deeper awareness of his presence. And that is crucial to overcoming anxiety. Think about so many of these Eastern religions, Hinduism, Buddhism. Think about yoga, I mean, the, 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 the practice of yoga today and all these religions. And even some, it's, it's, it's certainly found its way into the sports world. And some of the most well-known sports coaches today are Buddhist. And some of these may be Hindu. And they're teaching their players to do what? They're teaching their players, they're saying things like this. Relax, focus, live in the moment. Well, but those religions teach that the way to relax and focus and live in the moment is to empty your mind. Eastern meditation is about emptying your mind. So the coach gets the locker room dark before the game, and he gets the players breathing. 
And he's getting them to focus on the moment, just clearing their mind out. You say, what's wrong with that? Well, that's quite different from biblical meditation. Biblical meditation is not emptying our mind. Biblical meditation is filling our mind. Filling our mind with what? With the presence of Jesus. So I'm not in some room trying to, you know, make myself forget about what I know is real. I'm in a room saying, Lord, what I'm worried about is very real. But I'm not in this room alone. You are near. You are at hand. You are with me. And I'm going to choose to focus on you. And I'm going to celebrate your goodness. So we do that. And it helps us with our anxiety. The A stands for this. Ask for God's help. The most well-known verse here in our passage, verse number 6. Be anxious for nothing. There's the command. But how, Paul? Here he gives it. But in everything, by prayer and supplication. What is Paul saying? He's saying, when you're feeling anxious, ask God to help you. And just say, Jesus, first of all, I thank you that you're here. Now, Lord, I'm feeling anxious right now. And I'm asking you. I'm asking you, Lord Jesus, to help me with this anxiety. And he will help you. And so we ask for his help. And then the next thing we do, we leave our concerns with him. That's what the L stands for, leave. We just, we've asked him to help us. It is as though we've given him our anxiety burden. Here's what I'm stressed and worried about, Lord. And I'm asking you to help me with it. And not only am I asking you, this is the key. I'm trusting you. See, when Paul says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving... Let your requests be made known to God. The implication there, if you're thanking God for taking care of your burden, that must mean that you're trusting God with that, right? And so just like we ask Jesus to save us and then we trust him to save us, we're burdened, we're worried, we're anxious. We give it to him and then we do what? We leave it there. Now, Lord, I've given you that. I've given you my health. I've given you the medical report. I've given you the finances. I've given you my future. I've given you this relationship. I've given you all of this that I'm a, I'm, I'm, I've, I have given it to you. But, Lord, I'm leaving it there. Old song you sing in the church, take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. How many of us are good at taking our burden to the Lord? And as soon as we say amen, we pick the burden up and go on our merry way. Well, if we pick it up, our way's not very merry, really. Our way's just as bad as it was before we took it. We take it and leave it and trust him with it. And then the M stands for meditate. You meditate on good things. Look at verse number 8. Paul said, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. So we got to, in order to overcome anxiety, you have to get your mind right. Your mind has to be right. And notice what he's saying. Not empty your mind out of everything. He's saying, fill your mind. Meditate on things that are true. Things that are accurate. Things that are right. So much, so much of the stuff we're hearing is just not true. It's, 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 it's lies. It's, it's, it's from the, whether it's from the devil or from some other source. And then he's describing all these good things. Whatever is positive of a good report. Meditate on these things. And then verse 9, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. He says if we'll give him our cares, the peace of God will guard our hearts and minds. And at the end, he says not only will you have the peace of God, but you'll have the God of peace. 
and he will take care of you. So the cure for anxiety, how can we, how can we find calmness in a crazy and a chaotic world? C-A-L-M. So I want us to walk through that before we stop tonight and make sure you've got those four words memorized. The C stands for A stands for L stands for and M stands for let's say that together. Celebrate ask, leave meditate. Now the next time you feel anxious I want to encourage you start trying to remember that word. Even if you don't remember all of it, you know, one of the things that will help you, when you start trying to remember what all those letters stand for, you'll forget what you were worried about. <laughs> because it's so, the battle's in the mind. As a man thinks, so is he. Now, I've learned something about anxiety. And I can tell you this, as one who has worried about everything that there, that there is to worry about. In fact, if you came up to me tonight and told me something that you've worried about and I had never worried about it, I would be surprised by that. I would be very surprised. But I stand here tonight and can say this to you, that although sometimes I can still feel an anxious moment, God has brought me farther along in that journey than I ever dreamed I would be. I mean, I'm just telling you the honest truth. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say I never feel it, but I would say this. I have been given victory over that by the grace of God. And one of the, the primary reason that I have victory over anxiety is because of this. And here's what I've learned. If you are anxious about your soul, you're going to be anxious about a lot of other things too. In other words, if you're anxious, am I really saved? Am I right with God? I mean, hey, man, that's the big one right there, right? I mean, if you're worried about maybe going to hell for billions of years, you're going to be, if you've got a brain and a heart and a conscience, you're going to be anxious. So if you're anxious about that, you're going to be anxious about a lot of other things. But if you can get rid of that anxiety by making peace with God through trusting Jesus, and now you say, you know what, I'm not anxious about my soul. I know when I drop dead, I'm going to go to heaven and be with God. I don't have any doubt about that. I don't have any question about it. Now think about this. If I have learned to trust a God I've never seen to take me to a place I've never been that's a long way from here and keep me there for all eternity, it's not even logical for me to spend too much time worrying about anything else down here. I mean, if we can trust Him with the big matter, Surely we can learn to trust him with the other things in life. And so I wonder tonight, the person who says, John, this is what I needed tonight. You said some very helpful things, and I hope I have. I prayed I would, and I hope it will help you. But I wonder tonight, the person who's struggling with anxiety, could it be that behind all of the fears about your health and your future and your family and your, all the, everything, could it be that back behind that, you're anxious about your soul, And that anxiety about your soul has kind of just put you on edge. And it just causes you to be worried about everything. Wouldn't it be an awesome thing tonight if you could take that anxiety about your soul and put that in the hands of Jesus and say, Lord, I've got to get this settled. And I want to to know that I'm saved tonight. I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. 
come into my heart and make me a Christian. I trust you. And you could walk out those doors tonight with no anxiety about your soul. I'm telling you, friend, if you can walk out like that tonight, your kids, your grandkids, your neighbor, your friend, your boss, all, I'm not saying that's not important. And I'm not saying your health doesn't matter because all of our health, it does matter. But I'm saying if we can trust him with the big thing, we can trust him with everything else too. Amen? And so with our heads bowed and eyes closed tonight, for the one here tonight who would say, John, I'm anxious, and I, I, I know I shouldn't be. I know I'm saved. That's not my problem. I know I'm saved. And I know it's illogical that I would trust Jesus for something that big. And now I'm worried about my future or my spouse's health or if I'll be alone or if I can pay the bill. But I still am worried about it. Well, that's okay. That's okay. You be honest and, admit, and just tell God that. But right now, would you say, God, I'm anxious, I'm worried, I'm concerned about this. You just tell him what it is. God, I'm nervous about it. I'm anxious. I woke up with it, Lord. And if I don't do something, I'll go to bed with it, just like I did last night. And God, I don't want to be that way. I want to live with a lightness in my spirit and a, and a freedom in my mind. Where I'm just, just, just not entangled with all of that. So tell Jesus what you're anxious about. And right now, give it to him. Just, just in your mind, visualize Jesus standing in front of you. And just hand him that person, that situation, that medical report, that bill, that boss. Put it in his hand. Say, Lord, I can't carry the burden. I'm giving it to you. Just give it to him right now. Now, have you given it to him? Now, say this. Say, Jesus, it's in your hands, not mine. I trust you with it. And I thank you, Lord, that I'm walking out of here tonight lighter than I walked in. And when I, that thought comes back in my mind, what about that? I can just say, I'm trusting Jesus with that. Or if you want to say it to Jesus, you can just say, Jesus, I'm trusting you with that. You have my child, my grandchild, my health. I'm trusting you with it. I'm trusting you, Jesus. I'm trusting you. Jesus, I'm trusting you. I'm telling you. If you could get those words in your vocabulary, Jesus, I'm trusting you. It'll change your life. Now for the one here tonight who's anxious about their soul. You need to be saved. You need to get that settled. And I want to help you do it. Pray this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, I know that I've sinned and I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Come now and live in my heart. Make me a real, genuine Christian. I ask you to save me. I trust you to do it. I trust you, Jesus. I don't see you. I don't feel you. But I trust you. I take it by faith. And one of these days, I'll see you face to face. But until then, I'll trust you with all my heart. I trust you, Jesus, with my soul. And Lord, if I can trust you with the biggie, I can trust you with all these other little things in life. Because everything's little compared to that.